Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, yo, this is Big Daddy Kane, and you're listening to another hot interview on The Library with Tim Einenkel on RapStation.com. Veteran author and hip-hop historian Brian Coleman joins me today in the library with Tim Einenkel on RapStation.com to discuss his latest book about hip-hop liner notes called Check the Technique, Volume 2. Brian Coleman, thank you so much for joining me in the library. Very nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. Uh, I want to go to another album you talk about, which is another favorite of mine, uh, The Coup, the Coup's uh, Steal This Album. Um, you start out the, the, the chapter with a uh, quote... It's a fact. You can count on two hands the list of truly impactful and entertaining political hip-hop groups in the culture's history. Um, it seems that since, you know, hip-hop music, rap music, is the voice of the streets, to, you know, its job is to inform fans, this seems like a very low number. Uh, why do you think there aren't that many so such impactful hip-hop groups in, in this vast history? I mean, I think that, well, I think the coup is a perfect example in that sometimes you just go into a different line of work. Uh, Boots was an activist. He was a community organizer, so, so and he had talent as an MC and a producer, so he made music. But maybe he would have always just stayed as a community organizer. And so, so sometimes uh, people who are more political leaning might just have talent as an MC, but might choose to do something else or they might write poetry or they might become a professor, you know? And I think that's really the whole thing um, about any kind of music is, is what, what the options were and, and kind of how they, uh, how things happen and how, different people combine to to come into groups and, and recording situations. So I can't really say why. I mean, I think there are a lot. There's still a good amount. And I think the ones, the, the, the hip-hop artists and groups who are political tend to be more potent. So there's not a lot of hip-hop groups who are political who suck. <laughs> Whereas there are a lot of hip-hop artists who make more just BS party music or dance purely dance stuff um, who suck <laughs> so so you know what I mean like there's there's definitely less excess pretty much all the, the political hip hop groups who have ever existed have been important there just haven't been as many um, and, and, and I don't I think that that's just it's maybe a little bit different because I have a lot of friends who are very politically conscious and active 
Um, but generally in America, the people who are activists is just a smaller part of the population. There's more people who listen to music who just want to have fun and it's entertainment and it's background than people like myself or people who listen to this podcast who are more active as fans you know so so to be fair there's less of a, a pool in the political hip-hop the universe to, to kind of pull from but i don't know because it's it's not like hip-hop is the ultimate way well actually no I shouldn't say that it's not the ultimate way to express yourself if you have political ideas because you could be a writer you could be a journalist and a lot of the the people public enemy poor righteous teachers ex-clan the coup uh, they just happen to do it with hip hop but honestly any of those groups I just mentioned could have very easily never done music at all so we're we're fortunate that they did because it makes hip hop that much more powerful and and that much more diverse and it, it shows the true potential of and I think the point I was also kind of making in that coup chapter in the introduction was you can make political music or political statements and they can be very heavy handed. Um, but when you do like what Public Enemy did and X-Clan did and The Coup did, where you made it incredibly funky and musically complicated and entertaining, then that's just like the ultimate. Because they could have also just been spoken word records with, that, with people just yelling at, at the listeners and that you can't really listen to 60 minutes of being yelled at. Um, but when you're when it's presented in that way, it's just it's just the ultimate way to kind of express political thought because you can mobilize just so many more people when it's like that. I mean, fight the power. What, what's better than that? That's possibly the ultimate expression of a political statement in music because it's funky as hell. And, you know, the video is amazing. It was do the right thing. Everything came together with that song. So, you know, when it's done well, then it, there's really nothing better. Boots Riley talks about uh, in the chapter um, when he's talking about uh, the, the, re- the, the record uh, Breathing Apparatus. He talks about how he didn't want to write after that. Did he kind of explain to you why, like, what was going through his mind at the time? Um, and then, if so, what what made him change his mind to continue to write? Boots, the, the history of the coup is one that has always been interesting to me. And I never knew, obviously, just like a lot of stuff, I never knew as much about the depth of it or all the real stories. But um, he has had to fight much harder than most artists. Um just in the way that the labels have dealt with him, uh, he's just had real crappy luck in his early in career. And it's so dope for me to now see him doing better than ever because he stuck with it. And, and it was not easy. I mean, everything that could have happened to basically be like Boots just stop making stop making music. This is not working for you. And he was just like, I, you know, screw you. I can't. This is what I, I want to do. It's what I feel I'm called to do, and I do it. But I think really what happened was he, um, with breathing apparatus after uh, Genocide and Juice, basically the label started uh, being uh, Wild Pitch and EMI were kind of uh, in, in having all these kind of issues with the distribu- distribution. And it was affecting the way that his group was being promoted and money that was coming to him and things like that. And, I mean, it, it's very difficult to keep 
fighting and fighting and fighting when people are just pushing you around and, and, and it doesn't seem to be working. And sometimes you're, you just say, like, okay, so is this the, the universe trying to tell me that I just need to maybe do something else? And I honestly think he was just worn down and he said, I've tried so damn hard and I'm trying to do something important and I think it's important, but, you know, uh, everyone just seems to be kind of putting up all these roadblocks. So he had he was able to fall back because he was a, a community activist and organizer that he said you know maybe maybe i'll just clear my head and and i he didn't say that at the time he said forget it i'm done you know i walked away from it in the process as he walked away from it uh e-rock from the group was like well i i gotta take a job like they, they offered me this really dope job and so i'm gonna take it and so then all of a sudden his second mc was gone um and so, so it basically ended up being a hiatus, but uh, he was just basically very frustrated, and I don't blame him, to be honest with you. Then they came back, put out Steal This Album, then he had all these other issues with uh, Dog Day, with the label that they put it out on, and then it was like, oh my God, now, we, so I come out of retirement, and here we are, here we go again, and then they did party music which you probably remember had the original cover was the world train setter um, being blown up clearly the worst luck of all time then that happened you know so he's just constantly had to remain positive and try and do his thing because keep in mind too he also had a live group that he was touring with at that point and had to keep them on the road so i and and boots has never gone the easy way and that's kind of why I think his fans appreciate it, because he's the least sellout artist there is in, in, in the music industry. And that's kind of beautiful that he's figured out a way after so many years of making a living. Now he has a great label behind him who's still an indie, but, you know, very supportive. And he's touring and making really different kind of music uh, that still makes sense. And so I, you know, he's one of my favorite success stories because there are a lot of people who would have just thrown in the towel 10, 15 years ago. And he just kept at it and it's it's worked. And he came out the other end and he's doing great now. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, Master Ace Incorporated, uh, talk about the album Slaughterhouse. Um, and then Ace talks about the reason why he formed the group, and that seemed to be purely for financial reasons. Because at the time, as he says, uh, groups were selling more than individuals. Um, it seems like you talk to someone today about why they don't like a certain artist. Uh, it's because they, quote unquote, are selling out because they are, you know, they're obviously doing it for the money. Um, when you hear a reason like this, um, for example, Master A say this, does that kind of change your opinion slightly about the kind of the discography of Master Ace Incorporated? I would, no, I would say uh, it didn't change really anything to me. It was just him because it's not like he was like, I'm joining this group with like what the black eyed peas did yeah. and said oh yeah i'm really gonna sell out because there's no other way to put it they just said i want to be make really much less interesting music and make it you know for i don't know what their actual plan is but whatever it is it's, it's not really it's not really happening so um Mass A's was very different, I think, in that he had just had a very bad experience with, he he got dropped from his label, and he was a solo artist, and keep in mind, like, this group 
they were all unknown. It wasn't like these were known. He was forming a super group. It was qu- quite the opposite. He was kind of going back to being like, let me start from scratch. Let me try something new. So I, I would say that it didn't um, affect the way that I looked at him or his career. I was like, oh, I mean, why not? Why not give that a shot? It hadn't really... It's not like it didn't work as a solo artist, because clearly it did, but it was kind of just like, let's start a new era for me. Let's let's just try something new. And I think that it was a very unique group, clearly, and there was kind of younger people. He was established, but they were younger. Um, and it's not like they were making pop stuff that was destined for the charts. I mean, the stuff they were making was very dark, very murky. Um, you know, the, the, the Slaughterhouse single was, is amazing. It's just so underrated because it's just so over the top and so funny. And people just didn't get it. They just really thought that that was, you know, murder, 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 kill, kill, kill. Like, they were like, oh, my God, this is the most extreme group of all time. And But, you know, it's like, it's Master Ace. Like, he's not some thug, like, walking around with, like, a you know, an Uzi, like, just gunning down people on the street. It was obviously a joke. But not everyone got it. So, anyways, I, I think that I, I think it was a great move on on Mass Ace because he's clearly since then gone back and forth. He sometimes he does solo, sometimes he'll do a record with Ed O G or you know. So so it kind of he just goes with whatever he's feeling at the moment. And I think that the group was great. I think that Slaughterhouse is as good, if not better, than Take a Look Around, which was a great record, too. So, if anything, it just increased his range to me and made me even more impressed. That's something you write about. You said the album Slaughterhouse had a wide range, but was stronger because of all the bases that were covered and iced by the fact that Ace's lyricism, whether telling stories, schooling fakers, or philosophizing about the woes in the urban environment, never faltered. But then, as you just mentioned, Ace talks about how the album was just too dark for its time. Um, so, two questions: What was your when you first heard the album? Where did you? What side of the coin were you on? Did you feel it was too dark at the time, or like, you, or did you, you wrote about his lyricism? Uh, did you have to go back to re-listen to the album uh, for this project just to kind of see if your opinion changed? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I always do that. I mean, you, earlier in the interview, we were kind of talking a little bit about, do I know all of these albums by heart? I mean, even if I do know them by heart, I go back and listen to them very carefully uh, and kind of take them apart track by track in my own mind and figure out what I want to ask people about. I would think with, I think with Slaughterhouse, I mean, I always love the record. Um, I never like bumped it constantly. Like it wasn't a record that I knew by heart, but I always really liked it. And I always knew a little bit about the situation, but I didn't know. I'm a huge Cold Chillin' fan, so I didn't know that he had literally just been dropped. Like they said, no offense, there's just a certain number of sales that were choosing who gets, who stays and who goes, and you fell just below that line, and sorry, and good luck. And through clearly through no fault of his own. It's not like he did anything to deserve getting dropped. It was just the BS of the industry and the way that um, things sometimes go, and, and that sucks. So going to Delicious Vinyl was a very dramatic move, too. Uh, I've always been interested. There's a, a, a compilation that I'm sure you know called uh, Heavy Rhyme Experience that was around somewhere around that era, um, I think a little earlier even, and that's how they first got introduced to Master Ace. The brand new heavies basically did um, 
background tracks to a bunch of amazing MCs, uh, some of whom were affiliated with Delicious Vinyl, some who weren't. And so that's how they brought some people in. So um, I just think there, were, there was a lot going on. I knew there was a lot going on with that record, and I knew that it was a complicated record because clearly there was very dark, serious stuff. But, I mean, still, if, if people haven't listened to the, the Slaughterhouse song, like, go back and listen to it because it's so... It's hilarious, really, because it's so extreme. It's it's basically the grave diggers, you know, before the grave diggers, um, or you could at least see how Prince Paul must have just been like, "Whoa, that's awesome," <laughs> you know, like, "Whoa, I didn't even think of that," or like, "I didn't even go that far with grave diggers," or, or whatever. So, um, and there's even stories in the chapter how he said they showed up somewhere and. Uh, they thought they were like the new NWA and the new extreme kind of splatter like hip hop group. And they were just like, what? That was a joke. You know that, right? And the people did not know that it was a joke who, who promote the promoters didn't know when they hired him to perform. And they're like, oh, man, you know, you're, you're the ignorant MC's not here. And they're just like, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I knew a little bit about the history of the record I always liked the record and I think the more yet again the more I learned about it the more I respected his journey as an artist and I respected um, the album itself it made me appreciate it that much more but there it's really one of the more underrated records of the 90s I feel and I know a lot of people do like I, I think that's like Eminem's favorite album of all time or something like that and so like people who know hip-hop love that record but generally it was still overlooked and i think people um go back to it and they're just like wow this was so that that a lot of times to me i take that journey but i'm glad if people who read the books take the same journey um no matter what that is uh any of the chapters in the book but i kind of took that own my own journey a little bit with uh with slaughterhouse the album i want to go to another album um Cool G Rap and DJ Polo's Wanted Dead or Alive. Um, and then you talk about Eric V getting production credit on the album, even though he seemed to have nothing to do with it. Um, or at least Cool G Rap says he told them to give uh, Large Professor all the production credit. Is that common practice uh, where people just get production credit even if they're not really involved in the album? I don't know if I would say that. And also, I wouldn't say that Eric V had nothing to do with the record. I mean, um, he was the it was under his management company i mean sometimes there is a gray area of it says it's under a certain production crew and someone's mentioned as a co-producer maybe they did more than that or clearly the history of of ghostwriting uh in hip-hop goes way before any of anything to do with that record and certainly gone on far after it um so so i don't i mean i don't it's a tough question to answer. I don't know if, if uh, there's certainly – there are stakes that get to be somewhat high at times about knowing about production credits and, and uh, publishing and things like that that people kind of sometimes learn the hard way. Um, I don't think that – I think that a lot in that chapter, it was Cool G Rap and Polo both just kind of – Saying that it is time to give Large Professor credit. I think people generally know that he produced that, and 
Um, but but I wouldn't also say that Eric B had nothing to do with it. Uh, I don't think that he ever said I produced every single track on there, and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me. So if you look at the credits in that record, if you look at it, are kind of complicated. Like there's all kinds of co-production listings here and this and that. Um, so yeah it, it definitely happens from time to time that's not the only album that there's ever been any dispute about um sometimes it's kind of a more minor thing like did they really co-produce uh there was something with uh dj premier and, and jeru and the jeru the damage chapter where premier was like no like he did not co-produce it and you know jeru feels that he did and blah blah so that's always going to happen. Um, I don't think it's ever... A lot of times it's not even because they're trying to rip somebody off money-wise. It's just like, well, I put in a lot of work. So there are other instances where, like in the Diamond D chapter, Diamond D would give people co-production credit when they had nothing to do with the track except he gave me that bass line. So I gave him production credit as a co-producer, which is pretty damn generous because just because that means that, what, so you should every time... I'll give co-production credit to the guy who owns the record store where I bought that album, you know, so, so that was a very, that was kind of the opposite where Diamond D did not have to give somebody that much credit, um, but he appreciated the fact that they were like, yeah, man, like, here's this drum loop, go ahead and use it, because clearly that's also the backbone of, of what he does, so, so that was... He the guy wasn't in the studio maybe but it's still like yeah you know Showbiz gave me that bass line so I gave him co-production so it seems like he would be like on that should be like the special thanks credit you know line or contributors everyone deals with it differently though so and that's kind of I think explored in a lot of these chapters and how people talk about what they do uh, you know with, with a Gangstar record there's never any question like Premier produced so um, but most of the time it's not quite that cut and dry The sight of a gun firing. They must desire for the sign of a siren. A bag lady dies in the alleyways. She's seen the last of her days inside the subways. One more down the slope. Kid couldn't cope. So he stole somebody's dope in a gold rope. Now my son's on the one. He's the one and one had fun that was done by shotgun. Upstairs, I cover my ears and tears. The man downstairs must have drank too many beers. Cause every day of his life, he beats his wife. To one night, she decides to pull a butcher knife. Blind man plays the sax. A tune called the arms on my mom's show, railroad tracks. Many lives are cut short. It's when you're living in the streets of New York. Papa uses all the money for booze. A young girl is undressed in the backseat of a caddy. Calling some man daddy. Three men slain inside an apartment. All you can see is the sparks when it darkens. Daylight broke. Cops rolling on the scene. The drug war. Daily routine. Gambler spots. Just a poor man's jackpot. You win on a lot, you get shot. The drug dealing fanatics. But you don't want no static because they got crack addicts for automatics. For a desire for territory, a kid got caught on the crossfire. A tired mother can't take no more. She grabbed the bottle full of sleeping pills and took about 24. Human beings are laying on the pavement, cause they're a part of a mental enslavement. The cops snipers, little babies in 
kid head straight for the top and get stopped and popped by a crooked cop. Look behind you when you walk. That's how it is in the streets of New York. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.